yeah so welcome everyone this is the 11th session of bharat uh, pacific podcast and the series name is as you all know globalized series uh, we have come after a long break like uh, there was big break I, over like 6 to 7 weeks of break so we are back again as you all know uh, we discuss uh, issues related to international affairs uh, in this space sessions we record it and it, we upload it as a, a podcast in other platforms like spotify etc uh, the technical details of which of course abhivardhan will always give you at the end of the session so today is our 11th such session and uh, today's topic is india inc and india strategic ambitions so uh, rarely do we see that uh, indian corporates make big news i mean we do have big corporate news uh, every once uh, every now and then but it's mostly related to indian domestic economic issues but uh, past this month has been quite uh, significant in the sense that indian corporations have made news internationally uh, one first uh, but both the news from adani and tatas uh, air india air india through tatas have made quite a diverse and polar opposite like it they have attracted quite a different uh, range of uh, reactions to discuss these reactions and what it means in terms of india strategic ambitions uh, let's first start with abhivardhan abhivardhan in in a short way like in a crisp way what would you say what does these incidents indicate with respect to the relationship between india's corporations and uh, india strategic ambitions like in a short say what did you see yes so to make the context here for everybody i guess the private sector which is india inc in india we need them because they are just ind- indispensable and for an economy which has to grow in the so called amrit kal which this government boasts about i guess we need the private sector to do so now we have so many examples to start from i mean we have indian startups and companies and i'm not talking about those who have bloated funds and you know who have certain issues even post their ipo i'm talking about those msmes and proper startups and companies who are actually doing well as well as the big corporations which include you know your tatas and mahindras and reliance so uh, i guess india has a very different approach to capitalism wherein you need to have i would say minimum government but maximum governance as sanjeev sanyal says often and uh, i think it's a good idea wherein the private sector can do a lot of innovations it can help us you know to handle certain things in the global south especially africa and latin america um we can also partner with europe and north american countries in certain ways so why not i mean it's a great deal and um it's a very interesting week very eventful week this uh, because we are definitely going to discuss about what's happened in the civil aviation sector so yeah let's go ahead yeah Yeah. So to take the discussion forward today, we have been joined by a couple of guests who I really enjoy interacting with in th- in Twitter. Uh, one is Arunvel, the other is Krishnan. Sri Krishnan, of course, Krishnan has been here before and he has given us uh, quite a lot of insights. Krishnan shares uh, uh, very deep insights regularly on uh, defense, uh, uh, tech, uh, strategic tech. Uh, he also talks about. ports and other strategic economic uh, geoeconomic aspects so he's a avid follower of that and arunvel also while arunvel also discusses all that 
uh, we all know that arun vel is quite fond of aviation and uh, he is kind of like uh, he is kind of a very trusted voice on aviation as i see in my timeline at least among the people i follow in twitter so as we, so we have been joined by both of them so let's start with aviation arun vel what does the this week mean for india's aviation industry or larger india's larger geo economic ambitions like what did it signify yeah aditya thank you thanks for having me and thanks for rescheduling it uh, to accommodate me am i audible yes 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 please continue yeah hi um so this week uh, it has been a blockbuster week for indian aviation uh, from being a basket case when people actually had written off the airline not too long ago and today it boasts of the order of boasts the record of having uh, posted the world's largest uh, uh, aircraft order so it's definitely a big week for indian aviation as such but as i have tweeted about this before but people are making too much into i get a feeling that people are making too much into the geo strategic aspects of it come on let's face it uh, there are only two aircraft manufacturers and uh, you have to two western aircraft manufacturers and if you're buying aircraft you have to go to either of them or in this case both of them i am not particularly sure that uh, this is going to be a game changer for uh, as far as indian geopolitics is concerned hey uh, i like to apologize uh, can Can I join back in about ten minutes? I'm just in the process of putting my daughter back back to sleep. Sure, no worries, no worries. Yeah, thanks. Yes, no worries, no worries. So, uh, can you continue with that, Krishnan? Like uh, what Arun said about aviation? Yeah. Uh, hi all. Uh, thanks, and uh, good to be back here. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, this is indeed a like a from a economic and. Uh, a uh, commercial perspective this is indeed a very big moment for indian aviation uh, it kind of uh, stamps that you know like we've been seeing over the past decade and a half as to how airlines come some perform some do not perform the extreme variation in the atf prices the extreme uh, like some really go down into the dumps some shut down uh, so a full service carrier like air india coming out with world's largest order kind of reaffirms the uh, trust in the long term future of the indian aviation sector and uh, i also concur with arun that this need not necessarily translate into uh, manufacturing although as much i have tweeted about it that if this would translate into some kind of a manufacturing offset it would really be useful but yeah as arun says it's still a sellers market rather than a buyers market so uh, they hold the cards as much uh, how, how much ever big order that we place and uh, at the end of the day it's a commercial decision right uh, air india is a private uh, entity uh, although there can be some kind of an understanding between the government and the company as to uh, what to negotiate or like uh, what it it's still at the end of the day air india is going to do what's in its best interest it is not going to seek manufacturing that is going to push up the uh, procurement cost for itself right so we have to keep in mind that but 
what it also allows us to uh, uh, overall uh, what it also allows us like as you saw from the joint statements and the joint announcements uh, it kind of helps reaffirm the political relationship between the countries uh, kind of uh, in some way it uh, acts as a bedrock on which uh, each all of all let's understand that all of our countries are democracies whether uk france india or uh, us right so we all have to take it to the people uh, to just uh, to uh, upgrade our relationship and this definitely helps in that way. so uh, before going further into like the aviation technicalities of the aviation industry parts i would like to chip in use finest use do you agree with uh, krishnan and arun's point that it is more of a commercial deal and uh, people are reading too much into strategic aspects of aviation deal the recently that air india has sealed with airbus boeing and all because it has a- attracted quite a lot of diplomatic attention like uh, heads of states tweeting about it uh, people talking about like the uh, economic power playing into the comprehensive national power like and how Uh, it will only grow and grow so do you think it, it has direct strategic uh, uh, um, connections or do you think strategic benefits are a consequence of it it is not a direct part of it like uh, i think it's the former it's, it's not the latter so much i i would agree that people are reading a little too much into what's actually happened but it is uh, from a grand strategic perspective it is quite important because um even though i completely agree with krishnan when he says that at the end of the day air india is now a private company and b and airbus and boeing are also private companies and being private companies this is a deal that is uh, between two uh, giant uh, business entities rather than governments um given the uh, given the nature of the aviation sector and the amount of money jobs and investment that goes into uh, the deals of this size governments always get involved whether the companies like it or not for the very simple reason that it boosts their political uh, credentials back home that's number one but number two as is the case with india it also helps uh, to uh, shall we say uh, nourish diplomatic ties so one very good example of this is if you just look at airbus like just keep going to the side for one second when you look at uh, who benefits the most from this airbus deal it's obviously going to be uh, the european countries of germany or oh, sorry of france germany and to a lesser extent uh, uh great britain because of the rolls royce factory but the reason macron came on to that uh, video call with modi is primarily because uh, to them it signifies the long game that they played when it came to their diplomatic relations with india because if you go back all the way to um, emergency right i forgot uh, who was the president back then but, but the french were the only people who came as chief guests uh, to the republic day parade right so they have always had this very real politic interpretation of how their relationship should be uh, with countries especially countries like india and this deal on top of the rafale deal that was uh, signed years ago represents uh, uh, represents at least to them a massive payoff in terms of what they've put in so it also to on the uh, indian side of the fence what it could mean is in this game where we are trying to balance ourselves between china russia and the quote unquote west if you will collectively uh, such deals even though they are industry based allows india to project itself as sort of this 
middle power if you will when i say middle power i'm not talking so much about capability but middle as in middle of the road we are neither um, leaning towards china or russia nor are we leaning very heavily towards the west even though each side uh, in their own domestic markets is able to sell that you know okay india is leaning to our side like if you actually read uh, some of what the russians are writing you know they uh, often have uh, rather humorous interpretations of how india and china are going to you know uh, do uh, do this bhai bhai stick and absolutely wreck uh, the west and then if you read uh, more uh, more of the china hawks within the us uh, they'll they'll sort of look at this deal and go well uh, we are successful in man- we are making great sorry we are having great success in weaning the indians off of russian and chinese products even though both statements are technically true it allows india a lot of strategic space in that regard so <laughs> i know this is sort of uh, contradictory to state but krishnan is right to say that krishnan and arun sorry are right in stating that people are reading too much especially in the uh, economic uh, part of the deal but diplomatically and grand strategically it does matter because uh, as much as people like to uh, hate on optics optics do matter so abhivardhan continuing on to use finest points so do you think it it is playing into the diplomacy or strategic uh, arguments just because it's a such a big commercial deal that it it will percolate into every aspects of uh, Uh, foreign relations because it's like a massive deal like 80 billion dollars almost i mean estimates vary between 70 to 90 billion dollars but uh, the number i have been seeing regularly is 80 billion dollars arun and krishnan can correct me like what would be the correct figure but like so it's such a big number that it has ramifications across sector so that is what we are saying do you think that abhivardhan yes yeah, so first of all the number is huge 80 billion dollars and uh, honestly speaking uh it has some strategic implications in a good way wherein india becomes a middle power in the sense of what you finest said right middle uh capability is still a long road to go like i think many uh, i would say sane ir experts and policy experts say who actually are practical about atmanirbhar bharat they just say that what we are doing currently under this government for the past 8 or 9 years is something like authorizing india which can do so for example fine we got this deal considering the uh, capacity that we have as a country whether it is for transport or anything i guess we will achieve more of these deals in future let us see i mean i'm not talking about aviation i'm saying in general so right now we are at the middle in a sense that we are gaining the best and reaping it but in future how would we build our strategic uh, you know edge around it it's something which is yet to be seen but i think it's a confident move the government is taking certain bright steps and i think uh, this update is great i think it's it's something which reflects of they are being keen on delivering on certain things so it's great for all of us plus it is great for the us as well joe biden is you know <laughs> very excited about it the white house gave a very delightful statement that oh it will help american jobs so fine i mean it's great for both democracies there's no issue uh in america the domestic situation might get some quote and quote help because it's a live and die situation i think krishnan talked about it on twitter also so <laughs> i think yeah uh, i think he said on twitter so yeah i mean i agree with that so yeah i think use finest may wish to add and yeah uh, uh, arun if you wish to speak you can also so first use finest then arun yeah uh, yeah i just wanted to make a really quick point uh, which is that 
when it comes to the jobs part of the news coverage i found it very weird because a lot of indians were like uh, and quite rightfully so asking why everyone was so happy because uh, we aren't getting as many jobs as we should be getting and i understand that sentiment but it's also important to understand that we've done literally nothing to build the build a uh, capability to attract such jobs right for like the past 70 years uh, we've constantly glorified agrarianism as some kind of you know vishwaguru virtue that the entire world should share and only now in the past like 8 or 9 years have we all suddenly woken up you know smelt the smelling salts and gone oh hold on the world doesn't work like that right so i i understand it pains me too but at this point we shouldn't be asking how many of the jobs we can get to india because you know even if airbus said we will literally ha- we will literally create no jobs in europe and give all of you the jobs uh, we wouldn't have enough people to uh, you know produce the products to their standards given the uh, expertise given the critical lack of expertise within india at that scale what we can do is learn from the uh, learn from this mess up right and focus on skilling youth skilling india i think the government is already doing a pretty decent job at it hopefully they accelerate it and actually you know start to uh, have some solid benchmarks when it comes to quality uh, that's that's one point and the second point is uh, i i don't see a lot of people talking about this but this is a big deal for india uh, strategically simply because it uh, it allows us a lot more breathing room with the white house So if you look at the White House White House's foreign policy disposition of late it's being run by the China hawks right so when you have such a massive aircraft deal go through and you're creating hundreds of jobs in the US instead of going oh hundreds of jobs in the US none in India we should be going okay because they're having hundreds of jobs in the US it allow it allows us a little more breathing space diplomatically right i mean what would you rather have the yanks constantly breathing breathing down your throat saying don't buy cheap oil from russia or saying you know what okay we look the other way just you know from time to time give us a sweet deal here and there i mean it, at the end of the day it is business as usual so i think there is also that dimension that people should consider before you know uh, starting to really ban the government for not getting enough jobs back into the country just to add it is sort of a deal that would actually bring uh, again it india has always been a bipartisan thing in the us for the most part this is also one of those things where actually bipartisan support will exist this is because of course the both the trumpian section and the democrats they just want uh, jobs domestically so krishnan uh, before coming back to the aviation speaking of uh, sizes there is other uh, uh, incident that happened uh, in the past couple of weeks that has attracted negative attention across the world again it has again lot to do with that size that is the adani episode what do you make of the whole thing i mean there is of course a domestic argument that's going on but do you think everything that's happened it's purely commercial interest or there is some like uh, strategic goodwill that has been lost that i i don't know uh... what uh, strategic goodwill that has been lost see uh, these short sellers they've been existing for quite long in the us market uh, globally and uh, i think uh, anyone who has dealt with the international debt market would be familiar with these kind of players that's the nature of the beast right so it it can be both right and it can be both that it was a commercial decision as well as uh, there could be uh, you know how to put it uh encouragement or a nudge from 
some kind of vested uh, uh, interests at play. But at this point of time, I don't think we have any evidence to suggest that there are any vested interests that have contributed directly to the whole Hindenburg reporting. Uh, I think, uh, see, at, when you look at any of these, uh, these kind of uh, events that happen, uh, these short sellers, they do do a comprehensive report over several months. They do research and then they make a call. And almost all of these uh, involve, uh, what do I say, like uh, some of the biggest, uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, how do I put it, like uh, capital players in the market, right? So uh, I, I, at this point of time, I do not have any evidence to suggest that uh, some uh, vested interest has is involved in actively uh, helping to create uh, or like make happen this whole crisis for Adani. Uh, I'd have to see some solid evidence to suggest that. I think Sai, who is here, uh, will know better. Uh, but my I, at this point of time, I do not have any evidence. And when it comes to uh, any goodwill, uh, I think uh, that is overplayed. Uh, in fact, I was just uh, thinking a couple of days back as to like, this would have been become an even larger problem if this had happened three, four years down the line when probably Adani had acquired or developed even more assets on even larger debt, but which he could not service at which point of time it would have become even more difficult for the government to justify what was happening. Um, see, at the end of the day, the the uh, the short seller uh, saw a weak point to exploit, he exploited it. Uh, why did we allow ourselves to develop that such a weak spot? I think we, that is something that we have to introspect ourselves. Uh, <clears throat> why, uh, what about Adani's cor- corporate governance? What about, uh, I mean, you can... There is always, when it comes to big capital, there is always uh, these kind of things that happen. But in my opinion, he should have been much more prudent in the way he had raised capital and in the way he had expanded. Uh, but the, I think the past two years have definitely have shown that uh, he had developed weak points and someone just came and exploited his weak points. So, sorry, as Krishnan was saying, so it is just that activist sellers just doing their stuff and we are just seeing ramifications of that because of this kind of size Adani uh, just became into like it became a massive entity right in the last few years mm-hmm. so it's just a ramifications that we are seeing and uh, because there is other parallel narratives that happens to the western press so everyone just uh, trying to uh, integrate everything into one and they are saying okay there is a conspiracy but Krishna, as Krishna is saying, there may not be actually much conspiracy. It might be just activist short sellers doing what they want to do. Do you agree with that? Uh, yeah, broadly, yes. Can you can you guys hear me? Yes, yes. Okay, but, but before everything else, I want to ask Arun first, what is the specific point that his daughter disagreed with when he was speaking? <laughs> so Arun should please answer that before he... Uh, don't, I think, uh, uh, you know... It's just uh, today was a bad day, and uh, no, no, I think he really disagreed with something that you said regarding him. I should, I should yeah. stay. Uh-huh. You, you are, you are, you are, you are stifling your voice. 
the state in the broader corporate sector is pretty much intact uh, people are not talking enough about perhaps not talking enough about that okay that is one uh, uh, the, the the second part is you know he comes to, and you know in the context of what we are discussing here in terms of what corporate groups can do for uh, the indian journey right so adani obviously is a very critical part of this now if you look at this and i have been i have been crying horse about this in, on my twitter timeline for quite some time uh this is not a very professional setup this doesn't look like okay, they are very good at raising money okay they they raised about 10 billion dollars at a pretty cheap price fine but they are not good at uh managing a crisis um uh, that that is that is pretty clear for anybody who is you know who, has, who is part of the investment banking industry okay this is not the way to deal with this so there has to be much greater professionalism in the way they approach the indian corporate sector needs to approach um uh, uh you know the 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 financial markets right so like the global financial market because in india it's fine india you you know you say something and you know you you are the law but that is not the way the global markets work okay uh so when all this stuff about conspiracy theory comes we have to remember that on day 1 the reaction was very muted from the market i think the stocks were a few percentage okay it was a continued silence and you know messing up of the messaging by the adani group which led to the panic okay uh, so it's all very easy to say there's some uh, big uh, uh, global conspiracy and all that but no in fact if you look at co- coverage by uh, economists uh ft bloomberg it's it wasn't that bad it wasn't that it wasn't like they're saying this indian story is over anything it was it was it was pretty measured okay it was pretty measured you can't say that it didn't look like there's a concerted attempt to you know um, uh, score on with india okay so uh so as i said to, to, to two uh, major points one um as a, as a corporate sector we are doing pretty well there is much greater faith in the sector from the global investors that is not being shaken for example 10 years back such such a thing would have shaken the confidence in every corporate group they would have said okay if adani is bad what about uh, ambani what about uh, birlas right so th- those kind of questions would have uh, arisen but there is no such question doubt about uh, other corporate groups and which is a really big deal okay that is the, so so i want to reiterate that the last part and that is probably very important you know so some you know many people are uh, associ- on both sides on the writing or lifting associating adani very closely with modi right so uh, assuming there is a lot of truth in that okay uh, it's very important for the government to be clear how they want to deal with this okay uh, so far they have dealt with this firefighting pretty well which is to you know have an arms distance uh, versus this crisis which is fine but uh, have they done well in putting a lot of eggs in one corporate basket so far is a question you got to think okay we are we are a three, three we are a, going to be a 4 trillion dollar economy and and i don't think um, uh, having just one adani group out there that's a good idea so we need as i, as I was saying we need a adani we need a bidani we need a sidani you know we need a plan a b c can't, we can't just have 
everything uh, you know like a lot of thing uh, stuff being uh, uh, you know uh, put in the adani basket and especially given how they reacted to this i would be even more skeptical about you know uh, how far to uh, trust these guys okay yeah so that that's broadly what i want to say thanks so taking forward from where sai has said has the government put uh, too many fruits in just one basket so i would like to pitch in others like we have seen let's start with use financed we have seen like in the last past few years like the major geo strategy uh, geo economic projects that india like at indians were involved in which i would assume like indian government with the backing of indian government be it may like uh, the port projects in sri lanka or like the haifa project haifa port deal in israel or recent egypt uh, economic deals where egypt president has come to india as a republic day guest and uh, uh, adani is one of the most preferred corporates from india to be to get big deals there especially including in suez canal economic zone which is uh, which is quite a big deal for egypt and its ambitions so what does it mean if if adani is in trouble what does it mean for india's geoeconomic projects outside do we need more player like of course we need more players but are there enough companies ready to diversify some of that burden from adani use finance? yeah I, i just like to say something like i 100% agree with what sai said in fact um, he's a, he was one of my go to sources when i was following what was happening with adani right uh, which is why i'd like to say that uh, just like the air india deal a uh, way too many people are getting way too conspiratorial about what's happened right i mean the long and short of it is uh, adani sort of messed up how he went around structuring his debt right and now he's paying the price but to extrapolate that out right and as uh, many people and what this has led to in a sense is people writing these really badly composed erotica pieces that they call opinion pieces and then publishing big media outlets talking about uh, you know how this is the end of uh, india's geo economic geo strategic geo mummy mummy papa tata anna appa whatever term i mean that's not what happened right adani is not india if adani goes out of business tomorrow they, the government of india is not going to be completely at sea you know scrambling to find a life vest that's not happening like just and the reason for this is very simple it's because ever since modi has come to power a lot of people seem to have absolutely lost their marbles and i mean this genuinely like everything suddenly becomes a fight up for democracy against fascism against rising hindu nationalism against theocratic fascism i mean the, the kind of terms i, I have heard it, it, i've never really seen anything of this nature right since trump won uh, uh, back in you know the quote unquote uh, bad old days but because of all this what started to happen is there is a lot of emphasis that is put on adani and ambani simply because everyone likes to think that they are modi's pals right not realizing that every politician in india is pals with very big conglomerates right adani is no exception to this is been going on for a while now so but because of modi certain figures receive so much overwhelming attention that everyone else gets overshadowed like i did this uh, tweet thread summarizing a very brilliant um, conversation that the ex indian ambassador to egypt uh, a professional from egypt and i forgot who but someone at the print had and the three of them basically sat down together and they were talking about indian investments in egypt right 
and you will be shocked to know that when they were talking about indian companies in egypt adani's name didn't pop up right it was lower lesser known players many of whose names you don't even know right who have set up companies there who are doing business there and who are doing good business there. there are a lot of indian companies that do business outside of india that we don't hear about precisely because these companies are more interested in making money right rather than being seen publicly now i'm not saying adani is like a celebrity and he sharukh khan and he wants to you know do the kal ho na ho pose right in the middle of mg road but what i'm trying to say is because of the overwhelming press coverage he receives because of the amount of bad analysis that goes into trying to form some kind of link between him and the modi government right and because of people's ideological bias clouding their actual analytical abilities what you start to get are these very weird questions right like for example it's like it's like asking just because company xyz goes down in a certain state does that mean that certain state in india is now completely ruined right like we have so far seen no evidence that points to adani and the government of india being so close that if adani were to collapse tomorrow the government of india would also go the same way i, I mean i'm sure that uh, uh, adani rose to where he is by knowing a few figures within the government of india that's a reasonable speculation to me right but to then broaden that out right and say that the very strategic existence of the indian state right of the union of india of the indian republic is dependent on this one man i i, I think that's quite a stretch and i i understand that's not what you asked precisely but it's important to address this because the uh, number of shoddy alex jones level uh, commentary i've seen on this is is simply stunning i mean it really is uh you isn't this are these editorials mainly from india I, i i think i think the foreign ones have been kind of pretty measured in my opinion or uh, maybe yeah, I, i was referring to the indian indian ones in particular and then yeah. the indian diaspora ones who have even weirder right. things right right i mean uh, no. uh, yeah, i i at least, at least the few ones that i have read i found the foreign publications to be like fairly measured of course it's like a real crisis so there will be some bit of hyperbole right that is that the nature of the media but i found to be rather fa- fairly measured the foreign media the way they cover it. so uh, are we categorizing drume as foreign media or indian media uh, sorry are we categorizing sadanand drume as foreign media or indian media uh drume is foreign media drume you, you, you should you so, should you, sh- you should not speak ill about gods you will be charged with blasphemy <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah yeah before coming to arun and krishnan about uh, what adani means to like the indian infrastructure capacity and all use but i want to like to know what it means for specific project like haifa uh, port project that recently we inked with uh, israel that's a quite uh, important for india's ambitions right or like uh, the what the adani's involvement in sri lanka where it's uh, sri lanka has been news for india's geoeconomic uh, uh, like aspects for a, quite a lot long time now over a decade since china has been going deep into the region or uh, australia has been in the news for the past few years because of and despite all the controversies that uh, activists and opposition has made in australia australian government kind of been measured on adani for quite a long time despite uh, the issues over coal and allegations against adani in australia because it didn't want to jeopardize bilateral relations with india so there are specific issues where adani has been at the center of these things right so yeah but what none, none of those examples threaten the very survival of the indian state like say for example there's trouble okay so number one we need to get this straight like adani has not collapsed 
right this is this is not lehman brothers happening right here i mean adani is still very much in the market he's still very much alive i think uh, sai posted a bloomberg terminal short of um adani holding i think investor summits through various banks some pretty big banks so he's still alive and kicking and they will come back in some some way shape or form that's number one but number two uh, if you look at haifa if you look at uh, adani's investments in australia if you look at adani's investments in sri lanka it's not like the government of india is going to stand by and let these investments slip i mean i will not go into excruciating details but there are ways where you know the government steps in and goes hold on this project is too important to just let go we are going to have a sit down behind the scenes and ensure that it stays within indian hands i mean all governments are capable of this whether it's france whether it's germany whether it's america whether it's you know uh, china it doesn't matter and secondly uh, when it comes specifically to uh, adani being linked to india's uh, ambitions uh, especially when compared to countries like china i think we should be very careful before we start you know making those direct comparisons because the jury is yet to be out on how viable those chinese investments are right especially as you're starting to see in places like pakistan where they're trying to quote unquote outmaneuver us but as all of us here have been tracking i mean what's come of those projects where are the where's the data on those projects right i think atif mia made a very brilliant point on this when uh, he asked the pakistani state for numbers on the cpec projects and the answer eventually came that no one had ever been collecting numbers and the chinese have been increasingly frustrated because uh, again uh, they they view this project as important strategically important for them but they're not getting the returns from the project so now they're stuck in a limbo state so while i understand where your question is coming from uh, it, uh, a adani is still alive right he's still alive and kicking b the indian state is just not going to let the project waste away or slip out of uh, an indian company's hand and see when we start comparing them to other countries especially china we need to be a little bit more measured in how we do those comparisons because india is never going to reach the same scale as china over the next even 20 or 30 years so before going to aviation let's bring in arun and krishnan into the adani's importance into india's infrastructure capacity because like as krishnan has highlighted before did government put too many baskets uh, into adani's hands this is especially true for the domestic uh, infrastructure capacity especially in the ports and recently adani winning lot of uh, bids uh, to handle airports uh, major airports including the mumbai airport uh, so uh, krishnan uh, so if adani gets into trouble i mean as yous has said it is not dead yet so it may make a revival and uh, it is still a, a story in progress but like uh, are there other players to ensure india develops enough port capacity or like other infra capacity in, including i mean adani is also important for india's i mean the kind of investments it's making for renewable capacity basically major uh, economic capacities in, in especially in infrastructure okay uh, so let's start with the fact that adani port business and adani's renewable energy business they are all completely separate they are not really the fortunes of one is not really the performance of others and adani good his port business and it is something that he will continue to do well for quite a long time and he will continue to grow although whatever the bump that he faced today might kind of dampen the rate at which he grows uh, at least in the short to medium term but i believe his ambitions are pretty big and he will continue to grow so uh, domestically speaking uh, i have a very mixed opinion about what adani is doing both in the port as well as in the airport space um 
I have very. I mean, I think Arun is very familiar with the list of quotes that I compare with. Uh, there are there were uh, some small to medium size port builders who are also connected to uh, regional politicians in some way, uh, who have been completely bought over by Adani, and Adani owns those ports now. So what this has led to is that there is one really large player in the container terminal space. which is adani and there are only really small indian players who are out there if you have to think of a competitor to adani it is port of singapore authority or the dp world dubai ports world that is uh, that controls like four to five container terminals so is that a point of concern to me that is a point of concern because i think an year and a half back um almost 40% of all of india's containerized cargo went through adani ports uh i believe it would have it would cross 50% sometime soon we always have our public sector ports that can take over if adani is not able adani is not able to but i believe we have uh erred in the fact that we have allowed our other domestic business Uh, port business meant to kind of get cannibalized by Adani's own ambitions. It is one thing to support Adani to expand globally, but it is another thing to kind of not have enough competition domestically, so that the Indian state always has other options for Adani if Adani ever comes to uh, a problem. So that is point number one. Uh, with regards to airports, I think we do have other players. Uh, if you remember back in 2013 or i think even before that when maldives airport was up for development and the chinese wanted to enter it was the uk that actually pushed for the gmr uh, firm to bid and win for the maldives airport redevelopment and then a chinese puppet came in as president he tried to find gmr gmr sued and then it got it got a uh, hefty uh, compensation but the reason why i am telling this is i don't think uh, adani is is on whom the nation's airport infrastructure is going to be uh, dependent on uh, gv uh, gmr will continue to grow adani will continue to grow um, so and then there are you can always get in more players see the way gvk and gmr grew up initially was they tied up with foreign airport operators like uh, zurich airports or uh, malaysian airport holdings uh, and then they grew so i don't think we will be tying with adani but adani will still continue to be a very significant uh, capacity adder to the overall indian infrastructure space so sai uh, quick interjection as you want to say something then we will have arun speak because i think he has been silent for quite a long time so we will also hear from him So yes, sir. Yeah, sure. Uh, see, uh, one point I want to make here is, you know, uh, uh, it is actually what Mir Sir actually said in the, in the Bloomberg article. Uh, there is a lot riding on Adani. So you know, say, let, let's take renewables for example, right? So the renewables, the uh, he has so far built five or six gigawatts of capacity. Uh, the markets were pricing in before the current crash. I think that uh, he would build fifty to hundred gigawatts of capacity. Over the next seven eight years, does Adani have that kind of execution capability? Okay, uh, you have to question that one. 
secondly uh, it's is broadly accepted by you know both sides of the spectrum that uh this government favors a few f- big firms so the left thinks it's very bad the right thinks this is the way to uh, for faster infrastructure development now the the question to be asked here is even if we accept this is a good way to do it probably it is a good way to do it okay because this free market and all that this uh, in actually work in practice so pushing a few big firms to do it is fine but um uh strategically for the government i think it makes sense to have at least four or five big players instead of banking on one big guy and so again i asked the question who are the other three four that the government is going to look for so something for for the government to think about yeah uh, i'll i will leave the floor to arun now yeah uh, some very good points i have said I, i think it also involves like the all, after all this uh, uh, controversy how would adani uh, raise the funds at a cheaper rates to fund all this uh, ambitious projects but uh, we, uh, now let's come back to arun and arun uh, you can add points on adani and airports and uh, also please uh, we, we would like to go back to now a- aviation part of the india in story story you cut in between so you can also continue what you wanted to say at the at that time and we can take forward discussion from there i'll uh, i think i'll address adani with regards to airports first now in my view adani's presence in uh, the airports business is kind of superfluous india doesn't need the execution capabilities or the quote and quote connections that adani brings to build airports Uh, in fact uh, in india the most risk free business i would say would be in the, uh, would be the airport business because uh, indian when the first round of privatizations that happened way back in 2005 or so uh, the deals were sweetened to such an extent that if you have an airport in india and there are clients landing and taking off you will make money uh, in fact uh, bangalore airport is currently run by Fairfax, Train Vistas, Fairfax, and I'm pretty sure that that is this is the best investment that he has made because uh, the government uh, has a has a very generous uh, revenue share formula which makes sure that uh, an airport operator in India does not lose money. So India does not need Adani to uh, Adani's expertise to expand its airports. There are other places, and in fact, India allows 100% green fee, 100% FDI. in greenfield uh, airports so that's why uh, the jowar airport is being built by zurich it's headed by zurich i don't think there is any i mean there is no indian player who's who's running the show it's it's, it's completely a foreign controlled uh, airport that is being built so uh, so you there, there are allegations of uh, you know uh, wrong doing in the way adani secured his the, the six smaller ports as well as mumbai which may or may not be true but uh, i i personally believe that adani giving so many airports to adani is bad be- simply because that's a sort of a distraction for him for it, it's it's sort of uh, running an airport in india is like printing money a private operator can literally print money by when running an airport uh, that is a every few years uh, the controller looks at your your revenues and expenses and then lets you increase the uh, landing rights the udf so on and so forth and uh, i i came across a, 
a tweet shared by somebody that uh, US airports have a ceiling of 4.5 dollars of UDF that you can charge every departing passenger but in India there is absolutely no limit in fact in Ahmedabad Adani is you know, planning to increase it by three times or four times without having put in any sort of uh, any sort of capex so far so uh, so let, let's say Adani goes bust tomorrow yes airport ambitions at least uh, wouldn't uh, wouldn't suffer at all now coming to ports I think that's where uh, he's quite critical. Uh, if you look at the past few years, or if you look at the future projections, Adani is, is scheduled to invest in ports more than what government of India is planning to schedule, planning to invest. So, I'm not, so if his ability to raise funds uh, becomes a question mark, uh, then India's port, India has lofty, expand, lofty ambitions of building port capacity. We already have surplus capacity, but uh, we are also building a lot of ports, port, increasing a lot of port capacity. But if, uh, if if a player who controls nearly 50% of the market is not able to put in money, then those ambitions will, will, will suffer. Yes, I, you have a small interjection, then we will go back to the aviation part. Like the yeah, yeah. So I, I want to ask Arun, uh, why, is, why should Adani be critical to ports? Is it, is it because we can't get uh, other foreign players to come in and invest here? What is the issue here? Uh, I am not particularly, I'm not very sure what the issue is, but uh, India has been trying to privatize ports for quite some time. And it's sort of a hit and miss. Sometimes we get a lot of response from private players like DP World, uh, uh, Singapore Ports, who, who runs Singapore Ports. But sometimes we don't. But the presence of a large player like Adani ensures that when when India wants to build a new port, that is a that's a ready-made player with proven execution skills available who can uh, who can take up the project. So yeah, that's why I think he's. Is critical for ports. Yeah, uh, if I may weigh in here. Yes, please. Then we will go yeah. back to aviation. So, yes. Uh, unlike the aviation sector that uh, uh, Arun mentioned, where you can raise the UDF uh, and like kind of make an easy money, uh, the tariff authority of major ports still controls the tariff that is that can be set. Right. Uh, I think that would play a role and. Uh, uh, I think, uh, yeah, the, the very fact that we have we have not allowed other players to raise. So, for example, Jindal is a major player in bulk terminal, coal terminal, iron ore terminals. So, Jindal can build his own, continue to build his own captive ports, or he can offer his expertise to build ports for even uh, other players. Uh, iron ore and coal importers like Tata or others, but uh, especially in the containerized cargo space. Uh, I think we just don't have anyone who is kind of willing to uh, put in the uh, kind of money and the kind of focus that is required. And uh, whatever marginal players that we had, I think they are vanishing away. Uh, so, uh, if if we want a DP World or a Port of Singapore Authority to invest, let's say like uh, uh, a container terminal at five different ports, uh, I don't think uh, maybe DP World DP World will pitch in, 
they recently won a container terminal project near kanla but uh, for the scale at which we want to build uh, i think we just have uh, uh, kind of eradicated uh, all other players all other indian players in the market so we would have to be dependent on others and their interest will be dependent on the tariff structure and the revenue sharing model and uh, in case of ports the revenue sharing model has been pretty much uh, very uh, fluctuating to kind of uh, put it uh, i think somewhere in the early 2010s and mid 2010s a lot of these private container terminal operators like dp world were complaining to the tariff authority of major ports that the rates are really unsustainable and that the rates need to be increased um i think somewhere around 2017 or 18 some changes were brought in but yeah that is an area where a lot of regulatory issues exist and uh, not uh, every major port operator out there is really keen on putting in the kind of money that adani would probably be invest- interested in also another major uh, difference is is the kind of competition that uh, airports and uh, ports see is very different if a ship cannot go to bundra because it's expensive to dock there it can always move to move to jnpt but if you want to fly to bombay you cannot fly to ahmedabad so it gives a lot more flexibility for the operator to raise the ud udf without without suffering any loss of business Yeah, I have been getting few requests, but uh, sorry, I won't be able to accept because uh, we will only have like for fifteen more, more minutes. Then because it's already uh, almost fifty plus minutes session, so we won't be uh, having more than fifteen minutes, and we all have enough speakers, so we don't want too much crowd. So, Mr. Rohit Karthik, sorry for not accepting. Uh, so, Arun, uh, let's get back to aviation. So, what does this deal means to like aviation capacity of India? is it betting too much do we have that level of uh, uh, wiggle room to absorb that much of uh, bet and uh, what does it like is there anything uh, in that deal to bring technology to india like is there any technological transfer like what what are we getting in addition to just getting two planes yeah so it's definitely not too big a deal uh, as in the numbers are not so huge that india cannot absorb Uh, indian uh, aviation penetration is very 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 low we have i mean i have tweeted about this before uh, we have only like 0.5 planes per uh, million population something like that but even a tiny country like vietnam has more than 2 planes per million and the number of domestic and international uh, flyers out of india is very very small so we can we have grown a lot in the last 20 years and we will continue to grow at Say at least twice the rate of our GDP growth. That's that's how I I view it. So the number of planes that Air India has ordered is not is not so huge that uh, it's it, it, there will be surplus capacity in the in the market at least in the in the long term. The short term, yes, a lot of when a lot of capacity comes in, there will be some uh, some fat pressures like we saw in the last decade. We saw jet airways collapse. We saw Kingfisher collapse. It was, and that was the period when Indigo was injecting so much capacity in the market. And in this decade, 
Indigo will double. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that uh, by by 2030, Indigo will be operating more than 600 aircraft, 500 to 600 aircraft. Akasa will will at least grow two two and a half times. So there will be a lot of aircraft coming in. So I think the smaller players, uh, the GoAir and uh, SpiceJet, they are very very poorly positioned, especially SpiceJet. I have no idea how they continue to survive. I think it's, it's once again with the good blessings of of the powers that be, and uh, like today there was a news that the Go First has not paid its pilots for the last month, and just a couple of months back, uh, one or two of their new aircraft were seized by the lessers because they could not pay the lease payments. So I don't see SpiceJet or Go First surviving this decade. We will see these two. I mean, it's, it's it's bad news for the people who are employed there, but uh, those two airlines are in jeopardy. Uh, but these three will continue to grow. Akasa, it's quite it's well well capitalized. Indigo is has a lot of money, and Air India is of course Tata's airline. So these three will continue to grow. And uh, so, yeah, so uh, we will. Uh, so this is not a huge, huge, huge order. That that is my point. Uh, and in terms of like bringing in technology R and D, like does this bring any additional benefits in those aspects? Where it, local ecosystem can be cultivated in those in those. See, uh, we have we have been trying to do that for quite some time for something as simple as uh, MRO maintenance uh, repair and. I'm forgetting what the voice MRO is the uh, maintenance part of aviation, and it's it's not it's not uh, you know too high tech. In Indigo sends its planes to Indonesia to get its MRO work done, but it, it uh, but despite trying for years, decades, we have not been able to uh, establish an MRO ecosystem in India. That's a that's a very sad commentary on our. I think it's probably due to some taxation issues, but uh, if something can be done, like to ensure that uh, at least Indian planes get their repair work done in India, that alone would be a would be a major uh, boost. And coming to uh, manufacturing of planes, now obviously uh, when you speak of manufacturing, you have to look at China. China has a A320 finishing line in Tianjin. And I think there is some news that uh, the capacity there is going to be increased as well. So what, how the Chinese airlines order planes is very different from how Indian airlines order theirs. Uh, all the big carriers in China are, are state-owned. They are arms of the Chinese government. They just have three different, the uh, big three have three different names because they are headquartered in the east, north, and the south, respectively. So Chinese government actually. Uh, Places the order directly with Airbus and Boeing, so that gives them a lot of leverage in negotiating the prices, negotiating the kind of uh, in-country in work that can be done. That's how they were able to put up a, a plant in uh, in China. But we don't do that. Our uh, private airlines uh, negotiate their deals separately, as as they should. So the uh, the Size of the order is not as big as you would get if all the airlines were to uh, combine and uh, 
or, or are they planes together? And also you should look at the difference in the size of the market. Now, every year Boeing comes out with uh, what is known as the commercial market outlook, both Airbus and Boeing do it, but uh, they look at, they give a forecast of uh, the number of planes that they expect a country or a region to order over the next 20 years. So as per the latest uh, uh, outlook published by Boeing, India is plan India may order 2,000 aircraft over the next 20 years. The number for China is 8,000. So that's a, that's a that's four times the number. So that's a huge difference in the market size, the capabilities. So we will so. Why are we, is it the overall market or is it just Boeing? It's the overall market. Okay. Of both. Uh, Airbus Boeing, and now China has its own commercial plane, the CN919. It's basically an A320 ripoff, but they have shown that they can make a plane by themselves. So a part of that uh, market will be cornered by their in-house plane, COMAC. Uh, but, but the um, significant, the rest of it will be between, shared between Airbus and Boeing. So while we, we will continue get continue to do some part of the work in India, like supply components, and uh, and especially on the software side, we will do a lot of work. But I really don't see India getting a finishing plant from either Airbus or Boeing. That seems a bit too far-fetched from where we are now. Okay. And uh, Arun, you have said you will write a quite a detailed article on this, like uh, in next trajectory of India's aviation for 2020. I am looking forward to it. I think everyone is looking yeah. forward to it. I'll, and, do uh, I'll definitely do that. Yeah, yeah. So we will come to the last part of the session. That is the Indian state's role in facilitating India Inc.'s role in the larger uh, Indian strategic ambitions. So uh, as uh, US Finance has uh, earlier said, like... Uh, this deal might have given in Indian government some room to uh, um, have been Washington's good book. Like uh, it might get like other better deals in other aspects, basically. So uh, now, uh, uh, as we have seen in the aviation deal, few of the countries that have benefited the most have been France, Britain, or Germany. And in fact, Airbus, uh, one of the headquarters is also in Netherlands. So Europe has also benefited. So as Indian economy progresses, as India is trying to fetch uh, trade agreements uh, and it is trying to integrate with uh, at the bigger scale and it is trying to influence, do you all think such big deals and uh, India Inc. is... How good the Indian state's role has been in this regard, like to influence trade agreements? Do, do, will we continue to do well? Or is there more to be aspired to be done? Krishnan? Yeah, hi. So uh, uh, I always used to uh, kind of like, yeah, I, I think uh, I used to harp around a lot about uh, indigenization and uh, Indian manufacturing. So I still hold on to that pretty dearly. Uh, but in my opinion, from a very uh, realistic perspective, I think what India needs to pursue is enough degree of capacity building and indigenization so that it has the ability to both offer a carrot as well as uh, kind of wield a stick at the same point of time. So what I mean by that is uh, we, didn't, we need not build 
everything that we consume uh, within India itself. But we need to make sure that we can maintain our strategic autonomy as much as possible, even while uh, expanding our options by making some of the critical products that the rest of the world requires that they themselves do not make. But we can always provide a carrot that, hey, you have these products that you make that I would be ready to buy from you. But here is where I am really good at where you are not good at. So let me offer you that. So we need to get better at at least a bunch of things in many sectors where we can be better than the rest. And once we reach at that point, we really need not worry about indigenizing everything. All we have to do is, I have something better than what you are able to make and I can offer you that, but you better not sanction me at this point of time. So I think that should be the thought process in my opinion, rather than trying to kind of reinvent every nut and bolt in every product that is out there in the market. Venkat, sorry, I can't accept because we are almost at the end of it. So it's like only a few minutes left. So uh, I would like to apologize for not accepting the request. So use finance, continuing on to Krishnan's uh, point, uh, uh, that uh, we have seen that uh, uh, Reliance long before like has built a capacity in energy, basically petrochemical. It's one of the perhaps the largest refiner. No, it's in fact is the largest refiner like in the world. Uh, it's like the major India Inc. player. Long before India's economy was uh, this big, it has played into that aspect. We have seen in the recently in telecommunication sector, we are making inroads. Then we have seen uh, in ports, uh, like external port projects, likes of Adani are uh, trying to build something. Then in the aviation, we are seeing uh, Air India is trying to bet big. In fact, even Indigo is trying to bet big. So. Where are we heading? Uh, do you think, as Krishna is saying, now uh, what is the next step ahead so that India feels secure enough in the, uh, especially when it comes to strategic autonomy in strategic sectors? Uh, how many p more players do you need? Like, uh, are we ready for it? Are there enough players to uh, catch on to catch on to this bet? I mean, uh, the potential always exists, but there are more. There are two fundamental problems that need to be addressed before you sort of look at uh, which new player can come in and sort of uh, diversify um, India's options, which I do agree, you need to diversify India's options. But the two fundamental problems that also sort of answers your first question is, number one, the government of India is really going to have to double down on um, mathematics and language skills, starting from between roughly the ninth grade and going all the way up to at least the third year of, of a college degree. Because at the moment, what's happening is uh, we say we are going to do Scale India XYZ, but because it's so disparate and because it's not spread out uniformly across India and there's, there's no one sort of like, you know, tracking this on um, mission mode and everyone's just more, more involved in, okay, we educated one lakh kids. We're so amazing, even though we have a population of like a billion. Uh, we don't seem to understand that we're not building any capability. Right. There's like when these same people come into the corporate world and, you know, they're not corporate world, when these same people are put on the job right, and are told to do certain things, a lot of companies find out very quickly that you have to retrain them. So that's this also goes back to a lot of moaning you see, uh, contradictory moaning you see uh, amongst HR professionals. So you'll find a lot of HR professionals from time to time moaning about the fact that they can't find enough talent in the market. 
right but on the other hand you have government uh, uh, you have government affiliated individuals coming out and saying that india has a lot of labor well that exists primarily because all of that labor is not as skilled as the industry wants them to be so the industry is having to take its time and money invest it into a uh, in, into people who may or may not stick around right and who in all likelihood will be poached by another company so that that's one thing we need to uh, the government of india needs to double down at least for the next two decades and ensure that everyone who's going to be uh, passing out between uh, between the ninth to roughly the third year of university has a really good grounding in at least bare minimum mathematics and uh, one or two languages um i'm not even touching stem at this point the second i think fundamental uh, uh, issue that people need to sort out is elections because uh, a lot of people seem to forget that domestic policy will also set your foreign policy you can uh, uh, modi winning 2014 and 2019 has sort of uh, made a lot of people take for granted uh, just how catastrophic bad uh, election choices can be i'm not i'm not a, i'm not the biggest modi supporter as all of you know if anything i'm more center left than most people but it cannot be understated how terrifying uh the upa years were in comparison to the nda years i mean you you look at the corruption you look at the inflation you look at the terror attacks you look at the constant aman ki aasha nonsense you look at the ever depleting uh, sorry you look at the uh, pacifistic attitude with china you look at how much we were bullied into a corner effectively and you often wonder how you escaped that and people seem to forget that that is also around the corner because once modi leaves and because of his reputation as a strong man and because he's built this aura around him once he goes can you tell me that the nda will continue having such strong leadership continue to win such overwhelming majorities and continue to rule for at least the next 2 3 4 decades and provide that level of growth you need to see right i'm i'm not uh, saying that vote one way or the other way i'm saying this is an important question.